Hello, and welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast on the internet that has the science and the screaming to determine what is the single greatest movie of any given year. My name is Ryan, and I will be your host for tonight, the final regular season episode of 1985. It has been a crazy year. I am sad to see it go, but I am excited to watch the ending as it, in next week or a couple weeks from now, we're going to decide which of these eight movies are the movie of the year and hand out awards to the most, the craziest range of movies that have ever been collected <laughs> in one grouping. Um, last week, we had, I think, something very special happen where we had a tie. No winners or losers were determined. And so what I've done is I have held a lottery. And I said, both of those people, you guys aren't on the show this week. And I held a lottery, and we have two new people to come in. Tonight, we are talking about Akira Kurosawa's Ron. That's right. Akira Kurosawa made a movie in 85, just in case you thought this season couldn't get any crazier. And I have got two new challengers to come in and see who is best at talking about Akira Kurosawa's Ron. Our first team, the green team is Greg. Are you ready, Greg? That was terrible. Well, I don't know if I'm... <laughs> Again, sometimes the sound, I think, kind of makes promises that are hard to deliver on. I don't know if I can be as cool as that, but I am ready to talk about a fucking samurai movie, dude. <laughs> I am ready to do this. Now, Greg, you were here last week. Good lottery doings. Yeah. Are you going to buy lotto tickets or do you think your um, luck starts and ends right here? To to be honest, I do know how to defeat any lottery, but I've decided not to do that because I don't want to pursue monetary gain. I just want to appear on podcasts. And of course, the winner of each episode of Movie of the Year does get a $100,000 check. So, Yeah, you can't cash it, but it just looks really cool. Imagine you're looking at a check that says 100000 on it. That would be so crazy. Like, imagine that much money. I get those in the mail all the time. Just they're they're saying that I should take out a hundred thousand dollar loan from this very upstanding company. Uh-huh. But so they send me the check that I could get the real version of soon. Greg, unfortunately, <laughs> I would love to sit here and talk to you about loans it would be great. and it would Ron be great. all night. But it's a little back and forth. If you look at the other side of the stadium, Uh-oh. It, it is the purple team, Mike. Mike, are you ready for this shit? I'm so ready. I really like how the different sounds uh, our technical director shows. I do think encapsulate. It's Greg Peter and the Wolf like, shit going on right now, right? Yeah, Greg is like has that gravitas that the drums, and I am just like this piercing, shrieking whistle of a person. <laughs> <laughs> You're everyone's favorite firework, the Piccolo Pete. I do like that we're going to be the first podcast to use Liet Motif. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, uh, before we get into the competition, before you guys start battling it out for points and uh, fighting for your own honor, your own colors, your own flags, and hopefully treating your elders, your elder statesmen, better than some of the armies Never. did in Ron. That, uh, nope. that fucking ship has sailed, Ryan. That's the one lesson we, I took from this. Okay, keep in mind that uh, the, the patriarch of the, the family in Ron didn't have a points scoring system. 
and I do. So maybe that's where he fucked up. I feel like he did. It was clear that Saboro was winning a favorite son in the beginning of the movie. <laughs> Which is weird because he was such a little fucking fucker. Dude, yeah. that, that guy was he kind of a, a little piece of shit, dude. <laughs> like, but, that guy but, fucked everything up. Before we get team. into the nitty <laughs> and or the gritty, and we are going to talk about a lot about what would this movie be like if gritty was in this movie. Uh, what do you guys think overall? Was this your first Kurosawa experience and... Does this fit into the 1985 season that we've been having so far? I see I, a lot of parallels between this and After Hours, I think. <laughs> I mean, well, I don't know if you're saying that in, in jest. It kind of sounded like you did. But, like, I mean, he's wandering through the land and he's like, is this hell? Am I in hell? Like, am I being punished <laughs> for the things that I did for being such a terrible person? This, What's exciting about this movie, in a way, is that I felt the text connections to, like, every other movie that we've seen. Okay, maybe not the ones... I mean, not like Goonies and stuff, but like no, come on again, the, the adventures, the the, one, <laughs> the ones that we got really riled about. Honestly, I felt this like is wait, hold on, I'm sorry, this is 100 percent the three members of the younger generation saying fuck the older generation. This is our time. It's their okay. time up there, but it's our time <laughs> right now. So, so even Goonies, or I mean, you know, um, I guess it, it does connect to Back to the Future, right? Because Pirate Back to the Future is like you think people were so good back in the day, they they were actually vicious and venial the same way they are now, and this movie is about the same thing right it's about how you want to you don't feel bad for this old guy because he's he was a piece of shit like for so long it i saw not our movies but the whole time it was hard to get thor ragnarok out of my head maybe because i've rewatched that in the last month or so but uh the kid the the youngest kid is hella because he's saying you want to be peaceful and old and us to be loyal to you now dad but you were a bloodthirsty monster our whole life so why should we treat you with respect that's just Thor, baby. So if you like Thor Ragnarok, check out Ron. Or Man, was he ever the, leveling with him there? He was really just giving him the straight dope. Like, he's a piece of shit, but that was him being, like, very, very, like, here's the problem with your thinking, Dad. Like, you trained us to be wild dogs, and so now we are. You can't ask us not to be. And he's like, that's offensive. <laughs> yeah, it's every movie is either you have a terrible father or you have one that was there. And then it's the father going, oh, shit, I shouldn't have. If I wasn't around, they'd probably be better off. And I would still be alive in New Orleans selling daiquiris or something. Um, I I, want to get into this so bad, but so we'll just let's just go with the basics. Do you guys were you guys impressed by this movie? Do you guys think that it's in the upper echelon of the season or all of movie of the year? Or was there like stuff left to be desired? I was blown away. I am the, oh, this is fun. I like when we're yeah. on not exactly the same feeling <clears throat> because Kurosawa, I think maybe, this is dumb, but he did Seven Samurai, right? He did. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's the one I'd seen like 20 years ago. Kurosawa uh, is Seven Samurai, Bicycle Thief, Citizen Kane, and Trainspotting, and Transformers 2. Oh, I've seen all of those but Transformers 2, thankfully. I've seen uh, this guy's whole oeuvre. <laughs> it, it, it is, from what I remember, Seven Samurai, I really dug, and this feels like uh, I don't know. Maybe because he was old. That there's, I think there's a lot to be desired in this film. Old and blind. Like he had okay. a lot of shit going on. Okay, is that on. why the bright colors? That's why the bright <laughs> colors. Yeah. Otherwise, he didn't know what was going on. Uh, making fun of blind people, guys. Let's just dive into it. So when we come back, Akira Kurosawa's wrong.
Probably the first thing people think of when they think of Akira Kurosawa's Ron is the sleepy little stage drama King Lear by a friend of the show, Willie Shakes. Not yet in the Pop Filter Hall of Fame. Not Undeserving. <laughs> but focusing on Lear puts this movie in a box that is just way too small for something this epic. In the same weird way that this show began at the end of Kubrick's career, we begin at the end with Kurosawa's. Ron may not literally be his last movie in the way that The Tempest is not the last of Shakespeare's plays, but it's hard not to see this movie as Kurosawa signing off in a way, a reflection on what it means to set aside your work as an older person and confront what your life amounted to. And holy shit, this guy could make a movie. Ron seems like the work of a master who hasn't seen his talents cool in the least, but who now has the patience, wisdom, and courage to make a movie that is full of bold choices. From staging shots where hundreds of horsemen charge through a river to shooting mountaintop meetings from what seems like miles away, to a sequence where we can watch a castle burn to the ground as a ghostly old man stumbles from it. So, Taste Buds, I want to start here. I want to talk about how a movie that was made in the 80s that takes place in the 1500s sort of shines a light on the 2020s and what it's like for 2020 audiences, which is something that we don't talk about, I don't think, enough of, like, we're recommending these movies for everyone. This is this is a different movie than I think a lot of people have seen. And I want to start with the the pacing and the performances. What did you guys feel? How did you guys feel about the, the, the structure of the movie and the performances? And did it leave you cold and wanting more? Or did you did you start to gel right away? Uh the pacing I kinda knew what I was getting into. I I've got used to that like samurai movies are like westerns that they say action in the description, but that does not mean the same thing Fast and Furious action means. <laughs> uh, it's going to be very slow, uh, and so give you a lot of time to think about what everything means and what they're doing. Um, the pacing I was on board with, the, the performances are what got me, because if you're like, okay, maybe this is like Shakespeare's Lear, and I know we're not supposed to talk about that much, uh, it's the broadest, biggest, even when they're so it should be like quiet, Mo- dramatic emotional moments they are playing to the back of the house on camera it is huge performances and that took me a long time to get into it took I, you a long time okay i just uh, having seen a lot of movies from kurosawa i was thinking about this while i was watching it i was thinking that i'm loving this but mike is so dumb <laughs> i don't know if he's going to greg are you dumb uh <laughs> wow a lot, a lot of runway there um here Just say it, no. <laughs> oh no, I'm not dumb, Ryan. Uh, but I do think that what Mike said was dumb. Um, I, you know, first off, if you're gonna stage a, a if you're gonna stage a Shakespeare play, you have to like come with a, a fresh take. Um, and, and I want to say that. And second off, I don't know. We don't. We're not knowledgeable enough about um, Japanese artistic history to really understand maybe some of the choices that were made in this but what i like as like just sort of an impartial um ignorant person who who likes to look at things what i liked was about the performance of um or the, the main character Hede toro i think i never they the way their names look in english doesn't look doesn't like look to me anything like how the characters say people's names so he goes by toro a lot so i'm gonna call him that um the performance is a big decision it's broad and he it's almost like a a form of clowning um Mm -hmm. and i think that that was a a choice you know when we're talking about like lear lear and the fool form like a a a a dramatic you know twosome right and so i i think he is using sort of like 
clown body language. The one thing is, I do think, personally, for my taste, he started a little big and didn't leave himself a ton of places to go. But yeah, it it's like w- when you're uh, you're singing "Take on Me." Uh huh. Yeah. You gotta start low because the end of that chorus gets super high, but and you want to be able to hit it. I think something we have to remember about this movie is it's not that we like see him just starting to go crazy. He's already obviously pretty crazy when it starts, and so that's why I think the performance is so out there. I found it arresting. It took me a while to get into it, specifically his performance. But Grand. when I got there, I don't know. It's it's a movie, you know. It, it's not it's not a, a window into a reality. It's it's a it's a, a hyper real. It's it, and by pushing the performance into a kind of like crazy uncomfortable space, I felt more deeply connected to it. I, I think what, what what part of it is is his is so big and broad and different, and everybody leans a little bigger than most of the films we've watched throughout this, except maybe like the Goonies or Breakfast Club. But uh, him and Kade, the wife, Lady K, who jumps husbands, she also has a very gripping performance. And then how how bold and big their two performances are really highlights like everybody else is just here, too, is (laughs) often what it feels like. But yeah, like it seems like that we're sort of agreeing in a way of disagreeing of like. It, this movie is big in every single way. Yeah. Like the camera's big, the story's big, the um the the plays that inspired it are big. Like there's so much that's big about it and like he's I mean this is a guy who like his favorite go-to actor was Toshiro Mifune who it, it, like has never been subtle in his entire uh-huh. life. This is a guy who like this is not you know, neorealism. This is a guy who loves big movies. But it's and, a, and it's a choice, right? I mean, obviously, right? Like, it's like, this is, he could do it the other way if he wanted to, but he likes to do it this way. So it's like watching a Tarantino movie and being like, nobody talks like this. And it's like, yeah, no shit. Shut up. Just watch the fucking movie. <laughs> yeah, I think that's it. Exactly. Yeah. It's, he wants to get to some sort of truth that is beyond just like turning a camera on reality. He wants to get to like what it really feels like to live through reality. And, and this is like, this is a people as depicted in this movie that are like naturally very dramatic. Like mm-hmm. the, the whole way they like flare their robes, the way they interact with their swords. It's like, they're kind of always on stage. And so then to like have any drama in addition to that, if you are going to basically every time you move, move like a performer, mm-hmm. then when you give a performance or when you act, you're going to like be even like bigger for that. I think. Yeah, that makes sense. And there, there, there are there's so many rules that they all have, no matter where they are in the hierarchy, stated in the movie and unstated, that it yeah. would be impossible to not be on. Like the one person we see who like is just a person is the blind kid, who's just like, I'm too far gone to care about any of your bullshit rules. <laughs> yeah, like, Let me play my flute. <laughs> the way uh, he I, goes and gets I like d- that blanket and then just drops it. Like, here's your fucking blanket. <laughs> He, it felt like he was essentially saying, "I didn't even. I wasn't even introduced until like two hours into this movie. So <laughs> yeah. I, why would I give a fuck about any of this?" <laughs> you guys told me to be ready months ago, and I've just been here. <laughs> but like, I think at least in the top ten reasons, maybe not number one, but in the top ten reasons of why Kurosawa endures is because he's one of these few directors who uh, made these like super complex. Uh, very nuanced films that were could also be like a rousing good time in the theater. Yeah, you know? dude, and I, yeah. I think that the acting is part of it. Uh, I did a lot of reading this week about the differences between uh, no theater, NOH, yeah, and Kabuki theater. And no theater was something that Kurosawa was very much into, which is almost 
no forward momentum narratively and it was a lot of masks and like interpretive dancing uh-huh. and he thought that kabuki theater was bullshit because it was just like big broad soap opera and i i like after the reading i see what he gets from the no i, I see what he gets from like the quiet i like the quiet and i like the give the audience a chance to interpret and have uh-huh. the artist create art but He's fucking full of shit. If yeah, he dude. That he's not getting <laughs> this is the so much kabuki. Shit in the world. Yeah. How are you gonna have that arterial blood blood spray and then be like, oh, really, I just like the quiet. <laughs> because here's what I like about him as an artist. He looks- also it was like it was basically illegal. Like according to the rules of no theater, it was illegal to show blood at all. Uh-huh. You you couldn't even hint at the fact that there is blood in our body. <laughs> and kabuki kabuki theater was nonstop cut blood, cut blood, yeah. sword blood. Um the. One of the things I really respect about him, and again, this is the only movie has I've seen, but I I got a, a, an impression of the man from just watching the movie is he looks at the whole toolbox of cinema and he's like, "How many use all this shit, dude? If yeah, you're gonna go see sure. a movie, then you want to have a like a an emotional experience, but you also want to see these huge shots where hundreds of people move around because that looks kind of dope, and you want to see cool sword fights because that looks dope, and you want these shots that are composed like so meticulously." That's why, like, uh, some of the shots, the way they're composed in this movie, you couldn't have people acting normally in a shot like that Mm -hmm. because they are, like, they're balanced beyond the ability (laughs) to balance a shot with space and negative space and and what's going on in them. And this is definitely one of those movies where it's, you could pick almost any frame and frame it. Like, I want, especially because the the bright primary colors, and it really helps keep the giant teams, and I guess they're called armies, uh, separate when they're fighting because they all have one (laughs) color. But, oh, uh, mother, yeah, motherfucker definitely had gone to medieval times and understands how that yeah. works. Like, oh, man, teams made, have different colors. It was, I, I have heard about him, um, that just because watching this movie, like, just, like, looking into him a little bit. He told all his actors, have, like, a tick so that uh, when you, like, when people see you on screen, they'll see your tick and they'll be like, oh, I remember who that guy is. I think he abandoned that in this movie for just, like, when you see yellow you will yeah. know that you are looking at Taro. When you see Red, you are definitely looking at Hero or his men. And dude, I loved it. It was so yeah. easy to follow what was I going on. I want all on. movies to have yeah. that. <laughs> yellow is the like the kind of cool collected guy, right? Like if you see yellow, let it mellow. That was yeah. basically the point. Oh yeah, that guy movie. was mellow as shit, dude. Taro, he had the best facial hair in the whole movie. Let's go from 2020 audiences to just the world of 2020. What was it like watching a 70-year-old dude mm-hmm. make a movie 35 years ago and then about our world today? Yeah, well, I will say this 75-year-old dude has his finger on the pulse more than a lot of septuagenarians where he is saying it is the old people's fault the way the youth is instead of how dare the youth speak yeah. back to us. Uh, yeah, this idea that you're going to be an old man who ruined the world and then be like, I don't understand why you don't just call me like the greatest generation. <laughs> I did it. Tell me I did it. Yeah. like uh, it, Compliment me. It has to be everything. It has to be not just that you were like domineering and vicious and violent your whole life, but now as an old man, we have to act like you were loving and wonderful on top of it. Yeah, it's it's real crazy that he just predicted George W. and Trump. Like, like it's <laughs> we're going through both of the different phases of that old man right now. Cause but I mean- like fans of, and I don't, I don't want to make it seem like I think of every movie that I watch in the same way. But fans of W and fans of Trump are all sort of from the same generation. Mostly, you're either if you're if you're not a boomer, then you're just a fucking out and out Nazi skinhead. Uh-huh. So, uh, and it's just the movie's about how you know boomers all our lives said we work so hard to make the world better for you, so you can take over. And then in actuality, when it's time to step aside, they're just like no. 
No, we're in fact going to hold on to all the power we can. And even if that is the worst thing possible, even if that means the world burns, we're, we're never going to fucking step aside and admit that it's now a new generation's time. Mm-hmm. Like, th- his sons are dicks. Yeah. But so much of this could have been, you know, gotten around if he was like, all right, I quit. And also, I actually fucking quit. I, yeah. I'm going to actually quit. And he just refuses he instantly, to die. He quit, and then a day later... Uh, his guards bow to the new queen, like the new lord, and he's like, "Why? That? Th- why would they do that? Why are they doing that in my sight right now?" And everybody's like, "Well, she's the lady of the house." He's like, "I do not give a shit. I'm still here. You do not bow to anybody else." I mean, this is early on in the movie when we still think Lady K is just, you know, yeah, typical like first lady. Yeah, and she's like, "We should probably get it in writing." And even that, and his his right hand man, uh, the patriarch's right hand man, is like, well, it is everything that you said yesterday. Yeah. All you're doing is signing the thing that you said yesterday, and he's still like, this is fucking insane. I was drunk and full of shit, <laughs> and they should still be under me forever. What watching, because each one of the, the the dad and the three brothers all have a right hand man, and watching their right hand man men interact with their lord and how they tiptoe around it is fucking <laughs> fascinating for sure. Uh, and each and one twenty twenty, I would say. Oh, yeah, and, like, how much do you push back? How much, like, and, again, it's Tango uh, is the best. Is Even though, like, I don't agree with all of the things he believes in, he's the best because he will speak up when he knows it needs to be pushed back on and be smart enough to not get killed for it. Even if he gets him banished, right? Yeah, And then when banished. he gets banished, he'll be like, I'll just come back later. Yeah, I'll like, just do what's with right. A bunch, with you. a bunch of food. Yeah. <laughs> like, he goes oh, out no, and that's like, not okay. That's not okay, though. <laughs> we should was, starve. That was the weirdest scene where they're like, we need food. And they're like, oh, God, all the villagers left. And then he shows up again with food. And then the guy's like, burn their villages. Yeah, we they should try to give us villages. They helped us. <laughs> well, what he should have done is bring money. I think that the the right combination is tango and cash. That oh, would have made everybody happy. Ryan, come Ryan. on. You're not, you're not going to give yourself a point there? I'll do one. Uh, I'll do one quick one, maybe like one second one. I do want to make a, a direct um, to 2020 audiences who like, I don't know, this is too old. You guys seem dumb. Uh, if you like Succession, you will like this because it's just about an awful family tearing itself apart. So uh-huh. just vibe it. Also, if you like uh, Big Meadows where the, the grass gently sways, and if you like uh, people who like like have a plan and then no one ever sees them coming until they're like executing the last parts of their plan. And it's already way too late. Like that, this is like such a exciting, fun movie. And I guess I didn't expect that. And I think that's part of like what the, the box that Lear maybe puts it in. Lear's fine. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a, obviously it's a great play, but um, you know, I've seen it a lot. I've read it a lot. Um, This movie is offering you way more than the King Lear experience. The only thing people should say about this movie is they burned a castle to the ground and filmed it. Like, that's that's the pitch you need to see this movie. If you can't have fun in a movie where a castle literally burns to the ground, then I don't know why you go to the movies at yeah. all. Like, they I don't know had what to do it in see. one take because we're really burning this real castle. <laughs> it, you, can't, you can't just be like that old man from Contact who's like, why build one sa- space station uh-huh. when you can build two for twice the price? They had that one fucking castle, and they probably shouldn't have even had that. Uh but yeah, like it, it 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 sort of does just have it all. It's got all like that castle burning scene is six minutes long, seven minutes long of nonstop violence, uh, violence that starts with one of the greatest weapons, bows and arrows, and then at some point somebody's like, "Oh fuck, we have guns!" And then yeah. the guns come out. Uh, it's it's so thrilling. That transition really seemed like guns were being invented 
because they just suddenly showed up out of nowhere so long into the movie. They're like, no, try these now. Try these. And it'll actually <laughs> fuck people up. And then when that one team had a tank, like, that seemed like way <laughs> too much. Unfair. <laughs> uh, one more thing I want to get to real quick, and we sort of already hit, hit, hinted on this with the talk of the baby boomers and generations, but this movie hits on a lot of traditions. And how much, how much do you think Kurosawa is interested in traditions and are they good? Are they bad? And how much do they control our lives? Yeah, I, I think that there's several different paths of tradition here that, that there is like the hierarchy. There's they, they kind of hint at a religion because, and then one of the uh, side Sue, Sue, Sue is Buddhist so that they are hinting at like, and they're kind of anti her cause she's different. Um, but and he Buddha does, here is like the rock and roll hippie. Yeah. Religion, right. Yeah, yeah, back when like Buddha and Jesus were cool. Uh, I think the rest are like Shinto, and but and they kind of mock their own religion sometimes. But it really does seem like the movie and therefore Kurosawa is saying anything that makes you just blindly follow it is stupid. Which is kind of what I think tradition is: is well, this is how people did it before, so we do it. Because even though some of them mock it, they keep doing it. It's hard to not think of the last image of the movie, which is the poor blinded brother standing on like the very edge of a cliff and he drops the scroll that has the picture of the Buddha on it. And here he is like perilously on the edge of the cliff with no one to guide him. And this scroll with just a simple picture of Buddha, it it, like, it has a luster to it, but what is it? I mean, what's it offering him in that Mm -hmm. one moment? What is it? it? It's not even comfort to him. It's nothing. He, you know, he just drops it to the ground like it's garbage. I mean, you you know, I mean, that's the way in which he's, he kind of like drops it on the ground and then, What's going to become of him? He's probably going to fall off that cliff eventually, right? I mean, it, so he'll f- he'll find some way to die, and very soon. Yeah, like, that, that even seems, if he saves himself from that cliff, he's he's a goner. That seems pretty. That seems like a grim ending, you know. I mean, that 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 the, we watch that Buddha go from like the a, a place in a shrine where it's actively like uh, prayed at in the sun, and you can see like the luster of the pure sun on it, all the way to like just discarded in ruins as as everybody marches into like the gloaming darkness. It's <laughs> it is that dark. scene more subtle than it, in Stephen King's It, where the whole thing is all about fear and dealing with fear, and then right at the end, Pennywise just looks at everyone and says the word fear. Fear is is it basically the same thing? Yes. I have to say, it is yet another way in which Kurosawa is a lot like Shakespeare. Um, I think that there, he's like, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be abstruse here. Like, I'm, I'll tell you exactly yeah. what I, I what, <laughs> I, what, I, what I mean to say in this because I want this to be for everybody. I want it for to, for it to be the people that read texts very deeply and the people who just come to, um, kind of just get entertained and just see something. Party. Yeah, and some people, some people can pull that off, and most people cannot. Like, yeah, well, it's hard. Be I mean, Shakespeare or Kurosawa, if you're going to do that. One thing he, one thing he really does, Kurosawa, is he makes the very difficult things look like they're just like super easy. Like he, like, he just, like, threw the camera down in a corner and all the lines yeah. were perfect, you know? Or, like, he just lined up these 500 men and just had them march through. It's just, like, you know, oh, it'll be easy. Just do it. And it's it, that's his, like, well, master's hand on it. A lot of that came from uh, 10 years of pre-production. Yeah. That'll help. Yeah. <laughs> it's That'll funny. Help. I, know, I know he was deeply embittered because it was hard to get financing for his movies. Bro, you want to have 500 extras and burn down a castle? Like, yeah, <laughs> do something like Mishima, like go get on a soundstage. <laughs> like, yeah. What are or you just doing? Like a dinner at Andre, have two people at a diner talk for a while. And I know why I know he would be like, no, that's you shouldn't do that. Movies should be big and epic. And he's right. But that's why it's hard to get money for. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, we got to take a break. Uh, we have to stop talking about Ron for a second. But we, I have good news. 
Mount Rushmore, right? You guys love Mount Rushmore. We love Mount Rushmore. I love the game Mount Rushmore. It's not problematic at all. Not the thing. Uh, Coming up next. Mount Rushmore. That's right, motherfuckers. It's Rushmore time. The real Mount Rushmore is four presidents and soon to be a fifth. Did you guys, as of this recording, hear what just happened? No. No. I think it was Pence and not even Trump went to visit the somebody in North Dakota and they had a tiny replica of Mount Rushmore with five heads on it instead of four. Who's the fifth? Who's the fifth? Ryan, who is the fifth? The fifth was a Ghostbuster, which segues directly (laughs) into what we're doing tonight. One of my favorite parts of every season is when we do the Ghostbusters of the year. This is Ghostbusters was a 1984 movie that had the four titans of comedy. Uh Uh-huh. We're doing one year later, and <laughs> I can almost say right now that none of them will make it. Yeah. So is it is it just like a career death choice being in a Ghostbusters movie? Uh, yeah, I like don't it. think it did anything for them in the in the moment, in the immediate moment. Um, well, they all got Ghostbusters too. Yeah, they so. are, and they really landed that plane. They really did a great job with Ghostbusters too. You know, I, I feel like Ghostbusters two revealed that they didn't even know what was good about Ghostbusters one. They were like, you know what? We should do this same thing, but make it like way bigger and way dumber. Way more pink slime. Way more dancing pink slime. Way more dancing toasters. Everything should have way more dancing toasters. So this is a little bit different of a Rushmore. Typically, it's four heads of the most iconic whatever. Uh, this actually has a fifth because we always do the Rick Moranis role. And also this tonight, we're going to start a new wrinkle. Um, you get a point if you get somebody on the mountain. But... If you're able, guys, I've got somebody in my head that's so fucking Ryan that if you nominate him and he gets on or she gets on, and they probably will because I'm in charge, uh, that's going to be three points instead of just Whoa, the one. Damn. Wish I was good now, at guessing things now. This is a tie. It was a tie last week. I don't know who to go to first. So, Mike, I've flipped a coin. You're up first. I, I think hearkening to the tradition of ghostbusters to have snl characters and and uh quite a famous gentleman at the time and uh people seem to love flesh i think chevy chase would be the perfect assholeish ghostbuster chevy chase was dominating the 85 bo- we were somehow able to avoid mm-hmm. all chevy chase movies when we did this Thankfully. season but is this just a slam dunk like people fucking loved chevy chase i think he would not to argue for mike but i do think he'd bring a very interesting energy to it um what if you had that blaster but then also you were kind of like a klutz and you were always falling down and you just like be very unimpressed with like seeing ghosts and everything maybe kind of the bill murray role he could do De- I would, yeah, yeah i would say sure. definitely the bill murray yeah. role because didn't murray replace chase on snl yes so he came into the second season when chevy chase blew up circle also also the guy with the most streets named after him like every city has a chevy chase drive and for street and that's pretty impressive that's so Greg, now it's your turn for a slam dunk. Who do you got? I know we're not really supposed to do it where we like pitch um, people for like the specific roles of the Ghostbusters, even though we we just kind of instantly did do that, and we do that every single time. But there's a guy from 85 who I think would be really good in the Egon role, and it's Christopher Lloyd. Uh, I think mm. I remember Christopher Lloyd being like very good in uh, Back to the Future, but dude, that guy dominated that movie. And I just feel like he could bring some of that Doc Brown energy to our new ghost busting squad. How many scenes will we get where 
they they know where the ghosts are. They know what the building looks like. Christopher Lloyd's character builds a full scale model and then <laughs> apologizes for not having time to paint it. <laughs> right now, I'm trying to put butts in seats, so I think that like it's a perfect, it's a great candidate. But I'm gonna put him maybe for right now. Oof. Mike, where are we going? Uh, I want to change it up a little and. This actor, she dominated stand-up forever, and 85 is where she, like, really, really, really blew up. And Judy Tenuta? It's Judy Tenuta. Uh, but I think Whoopi Goldberg's energy mixed with Chevy Chase's would be a great uh, comic addition, and we know she can act, so maybe there's, like, a, a good dramatic monologue towards the, the end of the second act there. And she's like, no, Ghost, you got to get out of here. We don't want you anymore. Uh, I love when we talk about Whoopi as a, like, very funny person. As a, an egotter, right? As opposed mm-hmm. to just another like annoying voice on The View. But I think that Color Purple, which came out in 85, was her debut movie. I think she might be a couple of years away from getting Damn Ghostbusters. It. Yeah, status. I don't think you're going to get butts in the seat that way. But she'd be so good at it. Stand up nerds then? She's actually on my list too, Mike, because she would be really good at it. She's good in basically everything she does. She can do dramatic acting. She, As you said, she can, she's got the comedy she, chops. She has experience with the ghosts yeah, five dude. years <laughs> after this year? Yeah. <laughs> All right, Greg, what do you got? Um, I thought Mike was going to scoop this guy up, so I'm going to jump in and do it because we're trying to get butts in seats. I'm going to say Eddie Murphy. Uh, when you were saying Saturday Night Live, I thought that's where you were going. He was very big at the moment, uh, and I think that he could he could bring just a great energy to it, watching him just react to everything going on. He would be like the, sort of the counterpoint to the dryness of um, who was the other guy, Chevy Chase, you know? be really big and, and bold and everything. And yeah, you're just gonna, there's, if you say at this time, Eddie Murphy, you're getting people in the theater. All you have to do is say it. Just put it on your poster. Even if he's even not, if in the you're movie. not, even, yeah, even if you're Eddie not, Murphy's heard of this movie. Yeah. Even if you're not indicating uh, that he's in the movie, <laughs> he just wrote with a pen and he was supposed to be in the original, the original Did, Ghostbusters. Yeah. He was supposed to be Winston. Oh my God. So what they said, it was like Eddie Murphy deserves to be in the whole movie. Ernie Hudson, yeah. half the movie. You're <laughs> half the Eddie Murphy. That would also be the, the, the other nice thing is Ernie, if they could like have him be in the whole time and be like a full-fledged Ghostbuster and not have like parts where they forget he's even around. Mike, what do you got? Uh, I, I think sim- similar background to the SNL thing, but a little different. Uh, I don't know if butts and seats, but people fucking love him, is John Candy. He did the SCTV, and he's about to be in every fucking comedy movie ever. I love this. I love John Candy, period. Uh, and I love the dynamic that we have so far. Like, right now, we've got two guys just vying for screen time and punchlines. And I think John Candy would sort of work well in the background and pop off from there. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I kind of like it. He would definitely bring a Slimer energy to the whole thing. <laughs> Wait, he would be on, he'd be on a completely different wavelength than the other two people we put on it so far, and I think that gives you sort of like the, the spectrum that you need in a cast. But I don't think you should put him on, Ryan. No. <laughs> I already hit the mic Dang button. It. So I'm so honorable, Ryan. That's the thing. You really are. Yeah. All right, Greg. One more before the speed round. Uh, Who's your best that you have left? Good golly. Okay, this is a butts and seats pick, but I think he can also do it. He's obviously an action star, but he's an action comedy star. It's Harrison Ford. We're gonna, we are going to get people showing up to see Harrison Ford. Funny? What's a... What do you think Harrison Ford funny? Like, what's a good funny line that he's ever delivered? Okay. Uh, in The Force Awakens, oh. when uh-huh. uh, Finn is like... Finn's like, I just was trying to get us just to this point. I don't know what we're going to do now. 
Let's use the force. And Harrison Ford looks at him and goes, that's not how the force works. That's a very funny that's moment. A, that was a pretty good Harrison Ford. Uh, no, no ticket from Last Crusade. Yeah. That was pretty good delivery, right? Yeah, dude. Like, <laughs> For sure he throws, throws a guy out. out of a plane. <laughs> no ticket. <laughs> Mike, you got anything for Harrison Ford funny moments? I'm oh. switching the Rushmore to four most iconic <laughs> Harrison, Harrison Ford. Ford yeah, jokes. there's a get off my goddamn plane. Or uh, the president. Air Force d- One. Or where he's like, I didn't kill my wife. Remember? <laughs> yeah. That was That's hilarious. hilarious. Also from Air Force One. <laughs> uh, all right, Mike, do you have any uh, anybody you want to throw in here? I, 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 I never remember. Am I allowed to do Rick Moranis roles right now, or do we wait on that? Not yet. Okay. Then uh, I'm gonna say he he's hot, he's young. All the, there's all these cooled, older, grumpy Ghostbusters. Why not just Michael J. Fox in on there, and he'll bring all the kids in. Greg, such a good one. Uh, this is going to sound ridiculous now, but I want to bring it up because I, I I make this point every time I can. Steve Gutenberg, uh, <laughs> they built franchises around fucking Steve Gutenberg. Uh, there's a Simpsons song from the early 90s that refers to Steve Gutenberg as a, quote, star, unquote. And we have just absolutely forgotten it. He just happened to be on Last Week Tonight recently. They paid him through the app Cameo to do a couple different from things. From Cameo, yeah. But, like, and as he says in it, I was in Three Men and a Baby. Three Men and a Baby was fucking huge, you guys. And he was, uh, he was like, the centerpiece of Police Academy, the Goots. I okay, so I had two people that I had to see on this Rushmore, and it was uh, Michael J. Fox and Steve Gutenberg. If we're if like if we're going full eighty five, so I don't know what to do here. I'm thinking about kicking off John Candy and removing a point from Mike. Yeah, that's how you do it. Um, fuck. Okay, I. Uh, but I think ultimately, if we're going the eighty five that I want to see, it is Mike. Michael J. Fox that gets it. The Ryan threesome is still up in the air. If you what? guys are down. <laughs> That hasn't happened yet? Hasn't happened yet. So let's get to the Rick Moranis role. This is uh, the nerdy sidekick, comedy, relief, maybe future Ghostbuster. Who do we have? Mike. I think for for 85, filling all of that that energy and even more, they're starting to be like, oh, kids kids matter. Uh, He already owned 85, and I think this would just cement it, is Anthony Michael Hall. You... This is a hard one. This is a hard one to beat. Will he? So this would be the third movie he's in in '85. Mm-hmm. Will he, for the third movie in '85, do a terribly racist, like get high or drunk and do a racist black guy voice? I hope not. I you hope know, for his and our sake. You know, we never really got to talk about it on this show. So let's take the, this opportunity. The fact that uh, Anthony Michael Hall, like, was basically became a millionaire playing dorks, but then like. It drove him crazy because he's like, I'm actually really cool. And so then he like went on MTV and stuff where he tried to affect a really cool persona that was a. F- it was like in Breakfast Club when he acts all cool with the sunglasses on. And that's just the saddest thing in the world. <laughs> Why do these people, these actors who play dorks, because the actor that did Urkel did it, the actor that even, the Bud Bunny actor, they always want to be like, let's have something happen where like an alternate dimension cool version of me comes out <laughs> so I can show everybody that I'm actually very cool. I for some reason it's quarantine. I don't know. I I watched. <laughs> this is the end. Do you guys remember that? That was a movie where yeah. that the Ghostbusters of that particular year yeah. all played themselves during the apocalypse, and Michael Sarah literally said all of that to Seth Rogen, and <laughs> it turned out great. Like Michael Sarah steals the movie. Uh, at one point, he's getting 
blown and his ass eaten out in a bathroom. <laughs> and Jay Baruchel comes in, and Michael Sarah looks at him and says, like, oh, do you – do you have to go to the bathroom? Go ahead, use the toilet, honey. And the way he says honey <laughs> is fucking comic gold. While the Michael Sarah works is he is also kind of pathetic throughout the whole time. He He's a per, acting like a person who thinks he's cool. Yeah. The, he's not playing cool. Where it's so Stephane weird, though. It's so weird, though, because he doesn't seem to fully care that he's not as cool as he's acting. And so then there's kind of another layer where he also is a little bit cool because even though he seems like such a big, stupid phony, he seems kind of comfortable with that. <laughs> That movie's and then going back, going, going back to the AMH, uh, five years after 1985, uh, he was cast as the bully in a movie, <laughs> and he did all of the working out possible, including that way where you work out where you grow a foot and a half. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't grow know how you did that. Somehow. And then, yeah, uh, decided that he would take a part where he would just beat the shit out of Johnny Depp, which is what Amber Heard, I guess, recently did. Oh. Uh, Greg, do you have a... Uh, a different Rick Moranis besides Anthony Michael Hall? I do. Um, and it is Griffin Dunn. Um, he's got the body type for it. He's got the, you know, kind of like wincing, like always about to maybe get hit or bullied by somebody style humor. He's a bit of an everyman. Um, he would be playing a, you know, he'd be playing a little bit more of a different role, obviously, than Paul Hackett. But I think he could do it. This has to go to Mike, though, for Anthony Michael Hall. Uh, you guys, the one that the Ryan Award that you missed, got could have gotten three points. And this could have worked for Rick Moranis or a normal Ghostbuster was P.B. Herman. I would have loved to see oh, him as good. a Ghostbuster. Yeah. That's very good. So <laughs> your 1985 Ghostbusters are Chevy Chase, Eddie Murphy, John Candy, and Michael J. Fox. Motherfucker, that's we're going to rack in some business with that. And your Rick Moranis is Anthony Michael Hall. When we come <laughs> back, I guess we'll go back to talking about Kurosawa. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening so far. And let me just tell you that everything ahead of this commercial is much better than what came before it. That's my guarantee. While I have you here, let me tell you about a website. It's called yourpopfilter.com. And it's everything you need that's related to Pop Filter. Everything Mike, everything Ryan, everything Greg, everything Cassie, everything is there at yourpopfilter.com. While you're there, go to yourpopfilter.com slash Amazon. Make that your new Amazon bookmark and do your shopping from there. That way we get a little piece of the action and Amazon doesn't. Make sure you're also listening to everything that Pop Filter has to offer, which includes the Superhero Show Show, a podcast that covers every single TV show that's based on a comic book or comic book property, and Movie of the Year, where we sit down and try and figure out what is the single greatest movie of any given year. That's Superhero Show Show, that's Movie of the Year, and that's YourPopFilter.com. Rate, subscribe, review, bye! Aside from having the most screen time, what else makes this clearly Lord Ichimanji's story? What do we think is Kurosawa's fascination with this character, alongside with the character of King Lear? And so for the purposes of this question, we're going to just say it is his story, and then we'll get to other characters maybe later in this segment. (laughs) But let's start with this one it seems like a tour through the the life he built himself you know um the by going through the negative space of of all the people he cut down and murdered you know when you start a story with him already being 70 years old you leave out a lot of the stuff that he did to get to where he is and by the end of the movie you see that he like killed the families of both of who his kids are married to Mm -hmm. Um, to which in the beginning of the movie he's still like come on you're yeah. over that, right? Like, 
yeah, you know, it's like because it's a, it's like that whole Game of Thrones. Like, eh, you know, everyone's just kind of messing around, ha- having a lot of fun. We're all thrones uh, in. And, and so, in the fact that it is a almost like he, with his ghost walking through a tour of, of all the bad things he did, like, uh, you know, um, a Christmas Carol style. Yeah, yeah, kind of sure yeah. effect. Yeah, and I mean, I, I don't think it's a, it's um, an accident that for a lot of this he has the aspect of a ghost he literally looks and he keeps saying like i feel like i'm in hell it's you know so it's like it's kind of like a this is your life and Mm -hmm. if you are very very awful then this is your life is probably going to break you because it's hard to look at the bad things you've done i expected the the big drama and the battles and all that stuff and i did not expect that like he was essentially gonna throw bergman's wild strawberries into the movie and then reading about it later he was like kurosawa was like i guess it's king lear i don't know Fine, if you want to say that, cool. But the problem with King Lear is everyone knew how King Lear got to this position, but no one, like, Shakespeare never talked about it. Like, it's important yeah. to say, like, you don't get to this spot unless you're a motherfucker. Yeah, he's kind We're, of seen as, like, as like fortune's fool in King Lear, to take the, the um, Romeo and Juliet line. But in this, it's like, it, yeah, this movie interrogates that idea. And and it hits harder because he's somebody who's lived in a bubble for decades upon decades. The NBA so bubble. So then he finally has to, yeah. He and he's just there, like writing letters to his wife, maybe, and speaking to a reporter once, and maybe scrimmage. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> fuck, what is it? Oh, so he's lived in this bubble for seventy years, and then has to deal with his consequences. So it's not like different people were telling him that he was a piece of shit throughout his life. Nobody ever did. Yeah. And then he had a face. And here's the problem for the boomers. This is why they're doing it is because if they finally like give up their power, then they'll have to deal with all of this shit. If you stay in yeah. power, if you just keep at least one finger, but hopefully a fist, but hopefully two fists on the staff of power, then you just keep moving forward and never have to reflect and yeah. say anything you want right. about baby boomers or the older generation but reflection is not something that they know how to do or they're used to if it's forced upon them well his thing is like i'm not gonna reflect too like he's kind of the movie the the action of the movie is making him reflect but instead he's like no i'm just gonna go crazy and it's like no he would rather go crazy than think about how what he's done to anybody you don't get to escape that way you don't get to escape by sleeping you don't get to escape by being crazy and in that in that famous scene where the castle's burning you don't get to escape by dying yet. Mm-hmm. You have to stand here and look at all the shit you did. Even towards the end, when Saburo finally finds him, he's like, leave me in my grave and starts trying to crawl <laughs> under rocks. Like He's like, I pushed you away and you're the only person I want to see right now, but I can't because then I really have to deal with the fact that I pushed you away for telling me the truth. Which goes back to so much of the stuff that we talked about in the last segment. The Ghostbusters Mount Rushmore. Uh <laughs> The first Ron segment where we were talking about how, like, tradition and loyalty and, man, life could be so easy if I just, uh, if I gave up power, I actually did it. And then uh, me and my son, we my youngest son, we had it out and we were best friends and we could, like, golf and then, like, create a new empire. I just can't because of ego and tradition. Mm-hmm. Like, tradition dictates you can't mm-hmm. take a knee, you know, to someone that was taking a knee to you. Like, that's just not how the culture works. And if if that's how the culture works, then it's just doomed, you know? Or at least you're doomed at some point. You will definitely fall down this pit of despair and never come back from it. Well, it does. If you look at the movie, it's like, where, what could somebody have done to keep all of this stuff from, from happening? What, like, and it seems at the end of it, it's just a, a kind of like a fatal flaw in a feudal society. Is so, that, mm-hmm. that you will war against each other basically nonstop. 
so is this movie saying that Ichimanji and his family are terrible idiots, or is this the story of literally every patriarch in the history of time with every culture? Yeah, I, I think it could be literally every patriarch because the other lords, the allies turned enemies, they were fine until they saw power vacuum. So they're obviously exactly like Lord Ichimanji used to be. And they're not gonna. Their families aren't gonna turn out better because everybody's doing the same shit to each other. God, we just happen to look at this family. All of these movies always make me think. Like from this to Scarface to Godfather to whatever, they always make me think. Always want the top spot but never get it because that's yeah. when you're happiest and you have a goal. And then when you get the top spot, it's nothing but paranoia and like falling from grace. When you're gunning for the top, it makes you hungry and lean. Um, and then the second you achieve that position you start getting comfortable and people start lying to you. I mean, as we've talked about a couple times in, in, in this so far, he surrounds himself with sycophants and he casts out the people who tell him the truth. Just like somebody, I could just like, it, somebody, again, it has know. nothing to do with 2020 no, at all. It's not, it was made a long time ago. And so it couldn't predict any of this stuff. People are telling um, me that it has nothing to do with 2020, <laughs> but stupid idiots. This is not Ichimanji's story. Is it uh, lady K's story? Is lady K the, the protagonist, the antagonist, the the chaos, the the person we root for, the person we root against. Is this all about her? Yes, because I, here's the difference between 85 and now. I could see audiences in 85 hating her character. I'm so sorry, Mike, to interrupt, she, but could you do a little Lady K uh, character arc before you dive into this? Oh, sure. So she, when we meet her, she feels very Lady Macbeth, where she's just telling her, her husband, who's the eldest son who was just handed the reign, she's like, all right, now take all the power. You have most of it. Push your dad out. Make it in writing that we should be in power, that he has no say in everything. I know that's like, that was a handshake contract. Now we need to make it real legal. Uh, and you're like, oh, man, she seems awful. And then she, once he dies, she gets with the second brother and to the point where she's like, kill your other wife. I can't be fucked, so I can't know that you've oh. there's another woman alive who you fucked. I'll be so sad. I will fall to the ground crying if you don't kill your ex-wife, current wife. Uh, and she constantly pulls other people's swords and knives on them, which is when you're like, wait, this lady might be awesome. And then when you, in one of her monologues, she's like, well, you killed my whole family and then married me. So why would I be anything but hate? Did, okay. <laughs> what, that's all. That's a, that's great. I just want to make one correction because it's crazy to think of. It's not you killed my whole family and married me. It's you married me. And so or, or you had one of my uh, like your dad had me marry you and then because of that my brothers and father thought that there's no way he would fucking attack them mm. and when he realized that they thought that he fucking attacked them and put them all to the sword and killed everybody and that castle that she's like returning to as she says that she was driven out of that right. by that action like this guy was a fuck like like a monster just an absolute warlord monster but i mean not like historically awful like sort of the same amount of awful that anybody in this position would be, right? I think he is, he's the strong man that he has existed uh, across cultures, you know? I mean, I, I think that the reason that Freud talked about Shakespeare's plays as, like, foundational to understanding his theories is because part of what he wanted to talk about was how a lot of civilizations are collected under one man who is getting everything that he wants, and that the beginning of real governance is a bunch of people gathering together and saying, we want to take the things that this one man has. And so I think why this story endures through the, through Lear, which is like Shakespeare's not even the first person to write about King Lear. Like Shakespeare was like, you know, like the, the fifth person to write about King Lear. Um, it, it endures because 
there always we there are people who feel like there needs to be a strong man and a lot of times they are themselves strong men and so they will put themselves into position i mean i wonder how many people who voted for trump voted for trump not because they liked him or his policies but just somehow oh, well, like subconsciously know that part of history and say 100 percent, yeah the, there it, it has it, to be it, a bastard and this is our bastard it started like and it, that's what happened in russia with putin russia felt humiliated and putin said i will be your strong man look at me without my shirt on look at me playing hockey you can feel my strength and that strength is russia's strength and people look at america and they thought that it, it was uh, white people white middle-aged people felt like america looked weak and for whatever reason Trump convinces them that he's actually Let's strong. Let's get this weakest person yeah. in the world. <laughs> the absolute, like the biggest coward in the history of the country. Soft jelly man. But because he he knows that the trick is you just say that whatever you're not, you just say that you are that, and people enough people will believe you because <laughs> people are fools. So they thought, yeah, that's that's what they wanted. They wanted a, a, a strong man. And um, not fools in the classic Shakespearean sense. Like, just fucking stupid. No. Yeah, they, like, actually know yeah. things and tell everybody what's going on if anyone would just listen make to Make up them. fun songs and make people sing them louder and louder. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, so Lady K is a big part of the story, although doesn't have the most amount of screen time. Um, I think that she's the perfect combination of when we were talking about performances of, mm-hmm. like, this is the one that you guys agreed on of, like, big but nuanced but awesome and intriguing and doesn't feel uh-huh. like playing to the back of the crowd. Um was she was she the queen of the movie in that like when she was off screen you were just wanting her back like was she the most yes. intriguing compelling part I think the For whole sure. movie is kind of like a like a trick I think that you're supposed to think that the movie is about him and it it's so that you don't know that it's about her it's like how uh in the beginning of Psycho has got what who's the actress that's in Psycho Oh yeah D- 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 uh, yeah Anyway, big famous actress dies like right away, and it's a it's a big secret. Like it's a big you know because then you don't know. Drew Barrymore, Jane Drew Lynch, Barrymore. Jane Lynch. Uh, but I think it's the same thing with this. I think we're not supposed to. We can't see her coming because it doesn't work if we see her coming, and so it buries the movie buries the fact that she's the protagonist. But it's it's also I like that you brought up Game of Thrones earlier because it it's not. She she has the most interesting arc, but I think it really is just about this family and dynasty because each it's kind of episodic, and so the Lord gets the most time, but each son gets his role, and Tango gets his, and the Fool gets his. So it really is just like here's this society and how it all clicks together. Oh yeah, yeah the mean, Fool would definitely be the other one that like there are moments in this movie where it definitely feels like that it is about the Fool and like him wanting to be able to walk away and just being totally <laughs> unable to and being as imprisoned. As right. as um, Toro is because he just he can't leave this guy even though he wants to so bad it makes him cry and then he just comes back. It's crazy with yeah, like it, modern it, American movies. You think that the longer they are, the the more horses and battles they have to do, the less it can be an ensemble piece. And there's a lot of horses in this movie. There's a lot of bows and arrows, but how ensemble it is, you know. Make sure that the fool gets that moment where he tries to leave and then lays down next to his master or whatever you want to call it, like everyone gets two or three moments in this cast of like, I know 1600, but really like 14 people. Like everyone has two or three moments. And that's why it's so nice that he is so good at like reminding us who everybody is, because then you can really sit on those, on those moments. I feel like it wasn't until I watched it a second time, which I, I, I really love watching these movies twice before we do the podcast. Watching it the second time, I realized how much, how handholdy the movie was. Uh-huh. But there's so much going on the first time that I did sometimes get a little confused as to, to who was whom. But 
you watch it again and it's just like he will always put a big arrow like is that guy from earlier remember I I I would like though that if every time they came on screen there was like a little pause and the name came up and then underneath it was like their mutant power and then one like quippy yes. line underneath um <laughs> all right we're almost out of time so there's one more person that we have to bring up uh the only thing that's almost as hacky as saying is Japan a character in this movie Watching this movie, it's sort of, and then like knowing his age, knowing how many black and white movies of his I've seen, so to like see a color one is weird. Um, is Kurosawa the main character? Is this his Unforgiven? Is this him reckoning with his movies of the past of all of the heroes that he's propped up that probably weren't heroic? And <laughs> then uh, sort of trying to figure out how he is going to organically give you know, the, the torch to the next generation. And I know that, like, it's easy for to watch a movie and say, like, oh, it's about the director. It's obviously about the director. But the last shot that we've always, already talked about, the, the blind guy, like, dropping the scroll and about to die and having him, probably the, the, the most minor character of the ensemble, have the last shot, Kurosawa being blind, like, all yeah. of this sort of seems like with a, a reckoning with my filmography and not guilt, but like coming to terms with what well, we just, my filmography is. We d I mean may and maybe some guilt in there too Ryan. I mean if, if he if he is really thinking about like a culture decimated by violence then maybe he does sort of like interrogate his own role in glorifying that violence a little bit. And the movie I thought about it was hard not to is was Mishima, right? What made the author Mishima like be so invested in samurai and bushido culture is there any chance that at least in part one small degree was that he grew up watching kurosawa movies um and if so then like his fetishizing of action for action's sake this is a world that is imprisoned by action for action's sake um it's like it's also like game of thrones in a way in that anytime like a castle can be taken in this world it gets taken and that's just action. And it's not valuable. It's not valuable in the same way that taking that military base and then Mishima killing himself wasn't really valuable. It's not just always better to do something instead of nothing. It makes me wish there was a heaven and hell. Because so, that old man did not suffer enough. He <laughs> No, no way. <laughs> I mean, He suffered for a week of his life. Yeah. So, fuck that. And he spent the whole fucking time feeling so sorry for himself i mean that's really the way in which he reminds me of modern times it's just a monstrous person just absolutely feeling so bad nobody for themselves yeah no i mean yeah exactly nobody likes me yeah nobody likes you because you're a fucking monster but like yeah anytime that the movie maybe catered to him too, too much which happens sometimes but i don't think i would like accuse the movie of doing that or his uh sycophants did which that happened a lot I just kept thinking of his face walking through that burning castle, and I felt better. Like you, ma, your sons are your sons are dipshits, but this is on you, bro. All right, we're gonna take a break, and when we come back, trivia. <laughs> well, that is very, very funny, or very sad, and perhaps now you have something to think about, or very problematic, and perhaps we have something to think about. But in any event, I'm sure you have some reaction to what you're listening to. So why not check us out on the social media? You can go to Instagram or Twitter and find us at Your Pop Filter. Email contacts at Your Pop Filter. Hey, everybody. Keep watching them movies. Trivia. Gentlemen, it's trivia time. This is where most of the points happen. Uh, 
anytime that we have a show that doesn't have trivia, you guys score like 11 or 10 points. Uh, but now you're about to get 40 or 50. So here we go. <laughs> nice. Uh, wait, wait till the end of the question. Before you ring in, you ring in by saying your name. Number one, Akira Kurosawa's wife of 39 years, Yoko Yaguchi, died during the production of this film. How many days did production shut down because of this? Mike. Greg. Mike? One. Mike. That is correct. That's how sad Kurosawa gets. Which <laughs> other movie of the year movie begins with characters hunting a boar and then near destruction of civilization? Mike. Mike. Princess Mononoke? Princess Mononoke. Oh, yeah. It's basically the same movie. Which idea from Succession has enlivened up pop filter meetings like no other? Greg. Greg. Boar on the floor. It's boar on the floor. Do you guys, yeah. are you into it? Do you like it? Man, it's so fun. <laughs> I don't find it demeaning. That's the best, like, I, the, to me, that's actually fun. What does the word Ron translate to in English? Mike. Mike. Run. <laughs> nope. Greg. <laughs> Greg. Chaos. Chaos is Greg. Oh, that's fucking awesome. Dude, that is fucking dope. So what, what would Kur- what a hard movie, man. <laughs> what would Kurosawa call the gems Sonic the Hedgehog is trying to get? Mike. Mike. Ron gems? Incorrect. Greg. Greg. The Ron Jewel. R- R- oh, Ron the Jewels? <laughs> fast, please. Ron the Jewels fast. No, it's Ron Emeralds. Uh name the three primary colors. Greg. Greg. Red. Yeah. Yellow. Yeah. Blue. That is correct. <laughs> yeah. Edge of my seat on that. So easy. So easy for me. Now I do shapes. <laughs> Name the star of the movie Primary Colors. Greg. Greg? Oh. Uh, Richard Gere. Incorrect. Oh. Mike. Mike? M- Matthew Modine. <laughs> always always a good guess. It's John Travolta. Uh, if pri- That was the one where he played Clinton? You guys don't yes. remember that? Okay, oh, yeah. Okay. If Primary Colors became a Broadway musical and the star of Primary Colors chose the lead of the musical, who would he pick? Wait, the star of the movie Primary Colors? I'm trying to understand the question here. The star of the movie Primary Colors, John Travolta, Travolta. chose the star of the Broadway musical. Who would he pick? Mike. Mike. John Travolta. Incorrect. I have no idea. Adele Dazeem. Adele Dazeem. Who directed Primary Colors? Mike. Mike. Del Dazeem. Incorrect. Greg? John Travolta. Incorrect. It's Mike Nichols. Name the type of currency that certain members of PopFilter have felt we should exclusively use. Greg. Mike. Greg. Mike Nichols. Mike Nichols. (laughs) What's a Mike Nickel worth? Mike. Mike. About five cents. Nope. (laughs) Greg? Greg. About five Mike cents. Oh, so close. It's, (laughs) it's, It's two Mike pennies. Uh, Kurosawa was nominated for his only Oscar for this movie, but lost it to who? Oh, shit. I'll give you a hint. We did not do this movie. Mike. 1985, yeah. Whoever directed Out of Africa. That is correct. I'm giving it to you. (laughs) Nice. Mike. Sidney Pollack. Can you guys wait to get out of Africa? Greg. Greg? No, I just can't wait to get out of Africa. Do you know why? What's the reason? Why I can't wait to get out of Africa? Yeah. Because uh, it's the titular line of that movie? Yeah, but there's too much of something in Africa. Greg. It's traffic. There's too much traffic. <laughs> uh, what is the name of the Kurosawa film that gave us a term we still use today? Mike. Mike. The Seven Samurai. 
<laughs> oh, I'm always saying that for sure, but that's incorrect. <laughs> Anybody else? Not me, thanks. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm not gonna like. I'm not sure what it is. We're all just gonna remember it differently. So there's no point in even bringing it up. Oh, Rashomon. What is the name of the 1992 remake of this movie starring Kurt Russell and Martin Short? What? Greg. Greg. The Three Amigos. Incorrect. No, wait, Greg. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> Mike. Mike. Yeah. Escape from New York. Incorrect, Greg. Shit. Okay, I really do know it, Greg. Uh, Captain Ron. Captain Ron is correct. <laughs> yeah. Speaking that of movie taught me the difference between the word gorillas and the word gorillas. Thank you, Captain Ron. Oh, also that movie's not rated R, but there's nudity in it. Nice. That yeah. should be a podcast there's bo- dedicated there's to that. in there. Speaking of captains, what is the name of the 1986 short film that gave us the term CEO? Mike. Mike. Captain EO. Captain EO. That is correct. CEO stands for Captain EO. <laughs> Back to Ron sequels. This 2018 prequel to Ron starred Alden Ehrenreich as which major character? Greg. Mike. Greg. Ron Solo. Ron Solo. Mike. What was the name of the Ron sequel that took place almost entirely inside of a video game? Mike. Mike. Tron. T-Ron. T-Ron. T- yeah, that's it. T-Ron. <laughs> I'm give it to you. That's a tough one. <laughs> this sequel to Ron wrote Dianetics. Greg. Greg. L. Ron Hubbard. That is correct. Translate L. Ron Hubbard from Japanese to English. Greg. Mike. Greg. L. Chaos Hubbard. That is correct. <laughs> Translate L. Ron Hubbard from Spanish to English. Mike. Mike. The Ron Hubbard. The Ron Hubbard. That is correct. <laughs> with Kurosawa's Ron, does that mean we have finally watched a good movie for movie of the year having to do with the word Akira? Greg. Greg. How dare you? How Mike, dare do, you? Mike. Do you wanna, y- my, yes. That is correct, Mike. We finally have done it. That is trivia. You guys both cleaned up and probably tied. When we come back, let's get back to Ron. You'll regret what you said about Akira. Most of Kurosawa's masterpieces were in black and white. Does Ron prove the theory that I just made up that Kurosawa should have stuck to that because he doesn't know shit about color? (laughs) No. No. I think... No, Ron does not disprove. Prove that? Disprove it. Shut up. I thought, I thought the use of color was wonderful. <laughs> Thank in you. This That's movie. what I was trying to say. <laughs> uh, not just because it was, um, it helped us understand who everybody was, but I, I also felt like the way in which the, the three sons and their respective colors were at times blended in the, the garments of mm-hmm. um, Toro, and then sometimes like. Uh, they oftentimes are the same colors as the the colors that the fool wears. It's, it's a little blitzy cripsy. Like you got to have some piece of that color on you at all times. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's that which I I do love, and there's also like it is the very like I'm learning what literature is. Uh, middle school that each color means something. Where the the oldest son is yellow and does kind of suck, and his Caroline dies first. The middle son is more of a firebrand, and he's red. And the blue son is the calmest of them. Well, the blue sun means that the world is ending. Like, get the fuck out of town. If the sun turns blue, like, we're all going to fucking die. the yellow sun is where Toro's getting all his powers from. Yeah. Unless (laughs) Kryptonite comes, then he's fine. I actually, I I looked this up, and yellow in here, in America, means cowardly and Mm -hmm. courage in Japan. Oh, interesting. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I know that- Because he did not seem courageous. I think in Japan, white is the color of mourning. And I thought there was a lot of interesting use of white. You know, we see uh, the main guy, like, sort of, like, his whole skin and hair become very white, but his gar- garment also becomes white. And there's mm-hmm. scenes where 
he sits on basically barren rock that is like very bright white so white in fact that if you were to put white subtitles over it it's kind of hard to <laughs> yeah. see what you're one saying one could imagine that would be difficult to read in that section well that movies... like that sort of speaks to kurosawa's awesomeness though right is that you can't pick the same color of subtitle for the entire movie at some point yeah. Yeah. there will be that color blocking it you just, just have, have to change green. Just have uh, that one scene where you can read the words. Or yeah, do my with, dream, which is word bubbles. Have word bubbles yeah. above Just everybody's comic head. Book style. Uh, yeah, if White's Morning, Lady Sway and her brother are also in white every time we ever see them. Mm. Before even but so is Lady K. Yeah, but she, I mean, her morning is angry, but she's still mourning. Like, she wakes up on the wrong side of the bed. She, yeah, she became this angry, bitter murderer because her real life was ripped away from her. Right. Also, like, she... She doesn't hide it as much as people just don't pay any attention to her. For sure. But like I'll, she she's in that castle with her husband for like one hour before she's like, hey, you know, I grew up here and uh, <laughs> it was really painful to leave and I come back. And came back. I'm mad at your dad. And he's in just cl- like, I feel bad. Sorry. Yeah, dude. Isn't it great? He lives in the <laughs> attic. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing bad will come from this. In classic like Shakespearean, like uh, Kurosawa, Ian, uh, fools and right hand men. Like, I don't think they're saying like, bitch you're whipped you better slap that girl they're straight up saying i know that i'm you know in your charge and that you're my master my leader but what the fuck are you doing dude like this isn't about like spending too much time with that girl like she is she's crossing lines here but the the red brother the middle brother after the oldest brother dies his right hand man even if he is warning him against a real threat he uses the language of bros he does tell him he does yeah he says no man should ever have a woman tell him when he should go to war and he's like, I should go see her before we go to fight. He's like, you fucking pussy. Like, he definitely, he could have said, here's all the reasons. Here's yeah. a very logical argument of what she's obviously doing to destroy your family. Instead, I was he just, uses that. Like, I was Whoosh. just thinking that if, if you've got a friend like Red, then you have to use the words. If you have a friend like anybody, you have to words that, use the words that will convince them. And that's how you convince Red mm-hmm. is use the bro words that I subscribe to Maxim words. But it did, <laughs> it did not work at all. I mean, and the, the thing is, like, I, I think she's able to, be under the surface because just nobody really considers that she could have those ulterior motives. I don't know if his friends actually see that Mm -hmm. she is a danger because they kind of just don't think of women. If anybody thought about what it would be like to be her for one second, they would be like, man, I wonder if she's a danger to us because we are in her ancestral home after we have murdered her family, but they don't. And so they don't see the danger. He should know because when it's just the two of them, he's obviously afraid of her because the first time they make out, she has pulled a sword and a knife on him. And oh, then hero, they make yeah. out and then they fuck. Like, <laughs> so he should know, but he, he still has that male arrogance. Well, like, remember, even... the, remember the first scene where they're like, um, hey, fool, do a little like show for us. And the first thing he does. The is truffle look, shuffle. Yeah. He looks off to one mountain. And then they see where he's looking and they're all surprised and they look off to that mountain. And then he does the same thing a second time and they're equally surprised a second time. These are not very like subtle political beings. Mm-hmm. They're mostly used to just charging at each other and stabbing at each other. So when there's any sort of subterfuge, like Hero, he he doesn't understand what she's doing. Like as soon as they fuck, she starts screaming, crying about how he has to kill his wife. Like he's so, st- and he's just like, oh man, I gave her the dick so good that now she thinks my <laughs> wife has. Oh no! And even though she is broadcasting that she's playing him, he's just kind of like, yeah, well, I guess that that happens once they get a taste of hero. It's just they can't go back. I mean, as and- far as the women go, like one of Kurosawa's things that he said about like doing King Lear is that he was very far in the script and 
then he sort of started to lean towards Lear. But the whole idea of having it be three daughters at this time that he wanted to write about is insane and laughable. Like, there's no way that these these daughters of, you know, the, the patriarch could have received land or ever been yeah. listened to or heard of. Like, it had to be sons, regardless of when he decided to start r- turning it into King Lear. Well, and isn't the colonel that also there? there's the Japanese legend and this the Lord Toro is, like, super noble and he's like wouldn't it be more interesting if he was a piece of shit right sons didn't like him uh because that is way more interesting because yeah that's sort of like kurosawa i don't know if it's meta but it's like it's updating shakespeare and these japanese legends at the same time time. i'm saying like we just we just we listen to these heroes these two-dimensional heroes and just worship them they weren't two-dimensional they had personalities and i'll bet those personalities were awful and it's just it really is very weird to be like this guy got a bunch of people together and just murdered his entire life, just murdered everybody around him. And then later you're like, that was a pretty cool dude. He was really good on the battlefield. Well, I, you can already see how stuff goes away. And it like in every we we think of it like as a Western thing, the way we lionize the army. But like that is just the history of man. And we start to like uh, Caster of Troy was probably a real fucking prick. But people are like, but man, could he fight? You know, Alexander the Great, you know, uh, yeah, like, he was a fucking monster. Nero, uh, again, we Flint talked and about Duke it. and Snake Eyes from GI Joe. Whoa, no, not they were Snake real Eyes. heroes. Not Snake Eyes. Snake Eyes is a very cool dude. He's guys being a real American hero means being a true bastard. And then, I mean, we're watching this with today, going back to 2020. Like Brooklyn Nine Nine had to throw away all of the episodes that they've written because mm-hmm. we just keep doing this for these like allegedly heroic males, you know. It and just, it's because it we. Work. We we do prize that strength. It's very hard to take that away from us. That we we have a lot of respect for for people who are strong and who bestride the world like a colossus. And it doesn't, even though it comes with all this terrible stuff in addition, it's hard to shake that in us because we're still looking to see who the alpha is, mm-hmm. and because we're trying to find our place in that hierarchy. But I thought we grew out of that shit in seventh grade when we realized that. This particular type of strength is just weakness, and this strength but is actually strong. A, a great sign that you never grow out of it is that Clint Eastwood did make Unforgiven in the early yeah. 90s, and then he's and still then current American day Clint Eastwood. He, like, yeah. He still is that, who he is. That's fucking weird. Yeah, that's hard to deal with. Of like, I don't know if it's... I still just want to give the people what they want. Like, Is he treating us like puppets? Because the movie made $200 million in theaters. Or is he saying, I already did my Unforgiven, I've done my penance, I've picked up my litter, now I can just go back to what I actually want to do? No, he just. I think he just outlived it. I think he just outlived it. I think that yeah. there was a time where he was reflecting on his life and realizing like the kind of things that, that he helped to support and be a part of and the kind of stories he helped to tell. And then I think he just got crazy old, old. guy brain <laughs> after that. And that's why Shakespeare... like we consider the Tempest the end of Shakespeare. He broke his staff. He buried his books. That's why this movie is kind of like the end of Kurosawa because it's like putting something to bed before I'm too old to still say it in the way that it needs to be said. Well, he broke his staff, right? Because it was fake. Wasn't it a false staff? <laughs> Ryan. Ryan. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, it's speed around. Don't, do not have to ring in here. Just shout it out. Be rude Mike. to each other, but not to me. <laughs> After watching this movie, has the flute now replaced the sax as the most annoying instrument? Well, this movie really highlights how it sounds like a wailing person. Um, mm-hmm. That the scene where the 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 
guy who had his eyes gouged out plays it and it like assaults the King Lear figure mm-hmm. like right. that. I felt that because that really did sound like all the wailing of his victims. And I think when you are like an ostracized hermit at a society, I'd be surprised if you were naturally great at an instrument. So I think there could be a beautiful flute. I just don't think this kid's got it. It's weird. Like, how different instruments hit you like a uh, bass drum or bass like sort of hits you in the gut you can just feel it before you even hear it whereas uh-huh. it really feels like this flute goes directly into your ears with a knife and just it feels sharp chopping like away. an arrow yeah. or a katana like according any to the bare naked ladies kurosawa made mad films many of which include a samurai how does this intertextual commentary help us understand ron I don't know if Mike. it does. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I keep forgetting that even though you told us we don't have to say our name. I, I think uh, mad can be so many meanings, Ryan. And here mad is that there's a lot of angry characters, but it's also that the Lord is going mad. And so they were I thought right. mad here meant Canadian. dope. I think mad means many. Like yeah, make it, a bunch he made a of lot films. of samurai films. And I feel oh. like that's just so reductive. Like. Kurosawa made more than just mad films. He made art, everybody. Thank you, Greg. Yeah. Thank you for but stepping up and finally saying that. Um, that if um, the guys from Bare Naked Ladies made a Kurosawa-type film, they would have samurais. They're an okay band, um, but they clearly rode on the idea of the fact that Bare Naked Ladies looks good on a poster <laughs> all the way to, like, a Greatest Hits album. The Bare Naked Ladies have a Greatest Hits album. Is it just one week a thousand times? <laughs> it's been Bare Naked Ladies. Speaking of bare naked ladies, I saw a billboard for a local strip club mm-hmm. that said we're still open. <laughs> what are they doing right now? Like, is everybody masked and yes. social distancing? And oh my god, that's horrible. Yeah, social distancing lap dances. I do have to say though, like, uh, I am worried for like the dancers. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, like I, do, I guess I am worried for them. So I'm glad that they still are able to work. But gosh, that seems dangerous. I think it was Texas that had drive-through strip clubs, two-song maximum. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Like, you gotta. I guess some people like cannot, like, not have the strip club as an option. So the drive-through makes therapy. sense. I just really I worry about breathing all over someone who's like dancing in your lap. Hold your breath. If your product cannot be placed in a drive-through, then it probably shouldn't be a product. In fact, I want Pop Filter to have a drive-through where people come in, we just scream at them about Our pop takes. culture for like just two 30 minutes. 30-second clips? <laughs> Get them out they of here. They get to order from the giant menu? <laughs> I think I want to listen to Greg Speechify for about 30 seconds. All right, I'll try to keep it short. The time that Mishima wanted Japan to return to was already ancient history by the setting of this film. That is, I cannot believe that. Like, this was oh, wow. too... Like this was too liberal for him. He wanted to return to a more conservative time. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. wild because this feels like from the mists of yore. This feels like prehistory. Or, ancient yeah, well, legend. okay, but it's like the 16th century, um, and so like I mean they have gunpowder. They already have like they're already riding around on horses and everything. Yeah. Like at this point, the emperor was like a guy that if you were in power, the shogun would probably like have access to the emperor. But all the emperor did was like hang out and be and be chill. Like at this point, the emperor had not been in in charge of Japan. I don't know a lot about this, so I guess I could be wrong. But I don't think the emperor had been in charge of Japan for like a really long time. I don't know how much time the emperor was ever actually really in charge of Japan, but it would certainly be like you know sixteen hundred years before this movie even came around. It was That's so many years. Japan went through a period where it was just warlords attacking each other until it was formed under the I think tokugawa shogunate and like so it was civil wars like this for a really long time i just think real quick uh let me finish this question uh like 
like it, it's crazy that we had Mashima and then Ron in the same yeah. season. We got to watch this. Uh, how does watching this movie like complicate the picture that Mashima had of the warrior past? You know, he was like this liberal, uh, in some ways, uh, like but traditionalist. I thought it was far like uh, nearer than this. How does that complicate things? What What's interesting? It shows like how little thought and nuance we put on our historical legends because he only thought of it as that hero. He didn't think like, if this is closer to how it was historically, he didn't think about it as a complicated scenario at all. So it does show like, we're all simple creatures at times and just take stories at face value. And I mean, he was taking brutality and treating it like chivalry. Um, He Mm -hmm. was like, he was completely making up an imaginary time that he wanted to return to. And it was just this Arcadian dream of when we were better than we are now and it's just absolute it's folly and yeah. it's it's because he thought action was so much more important than words even if it was just like this random ass action and i feel just like this some action really... just do one action yeah well, and you know in a way that's human right we like we want stimulus more than anything else like nothing is worse for us than no stimulation so action is better than that but this movie condemns just like wanton action mm-hmm Cause yeah, it's that's European knights, that's cowboys. All these people were fucking dickhead monsters, and they're who culture glorifies. But see, like a couple of things there. One, I like going back and rethinking all of this stuff and saying, "This is what it meant then. This is what it meant when I was a kid. This is what it means now. Times have changed." That's interesting to me. And then also, when we talk about cancel culture and how it's gone too far, what we don't talk about is all the people who make it through every cancel culture. Instead of saying like, "Oh, everyone's out to like point fingers and destroy everyone," what is we've we've just given a name to like standing the test of time or not standing the test of time rather. There's everybody else who is not canceled because they stood the test of time and their morals, their ethics, their performance, their way of life uh, is classic and modern, and it does it all. You know, like when we're canceling all these people, it actually doesn't hurt you. It doesn't it doesn't hurt you at all when John Wayne gets canceled. It does not affect your life at all. And then you also get to think about all of these other, like, tropes or fictional characters that do still stand up. And getting canceled, like, so does that mean you can't talk about John Wynn with other people, even if you've decided fuck cancel culture? You can still watch his movies. You're just mad that other people will say, what if we put some nuance and context here? You're mad that people don't think the way you think. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's so much of an internet it. argument. It's just, yeah, like, I, you know, don't think the way you think. Think the way I want you to. And I'll and we, use, you know argumentative violence to make that happen if that's what it takes and we don't do that here like on the podcast greg gave this movie an a plus i gave it an a mike gave it an a minus this is so many different opinions coming in to like (laughs) have a thorough discussion you know (laughs) uh last one this movie is obviously epic and rad or rod and powerful but is it also kind of boring sometimes like is it like to watch horses run around for two straight minutes was there a time where you guys looked at your phone in this movie yeah, dude. Like, yeah. okay, I feel We're like s- the, 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 the troop movements, I get it, right? Like, that's cool. It's impressive. Not everything that's really hard to do is always as visually exciting. That's the, that's the director's mm-hmm. folly right there. And yeah. remember when we saw Come and See, the way, like, if, if troops were moving, right. we sort of moved through them? There wasn't enough of that in this. In Come and See, it felt like you were, like, part of the machinery of this moving group of people. On this, it feels like, hey, on that hillway over there, there's a bunch of people assembling. And it looks cool, but then it's like, wait, has this been going on for, like, like three minutes? <laughs> Is this just horses running through a river? Well, I think Come and See wanted to ruin 
war movies forever. Yeah. And Ron wanted to celebrate war movies forever. You know, like it or have it kind of both ways. Like, yeah. be like, yeah, you're right, come and see. But also, it's, this is pretty neat if you think about yeah. it. <laughs> Ron's kind of like, well, the leaders suck. But aren't these guys dope? <laughs> Look at what they're doing. Everyone's awesome. got a flag on their back. Isn't that, like, pretty cool? <laughs> I love when movies call other movies by their movie title. Like, what's up, come and see? I'm Ron, and here's what I want to say to you right now. Dude, 85 feels like, I know every year is that way, but 85 feels like these movies are all hanging out in a lounge talking to each other. It really, like, more than any other year. Yeah, even though some of them started 10 years before 85, some of them one year, two years. Yeah, Some of them deal with things that happened 10 years before. Some of them deal with things that happened 200 years before. But yeah, ultimately, I do think that if you spend a bunch of money and time on horses or soldiers or finding the perfect green hill, then you fucking film that and you hope people think of it like you do. I do think it's something that shows his age. I think that there is a way in which in parts of this movie he's saying like, I can't perfect the breeze on the the blades of grass. I can't make anything as beautiful as that. So if I can try to capture it like a beautiful blue sky with clouds and the breeze bestirring the grass, I'm going to show that. And if I have to lean on it, I'm going to because I'm fucking an old man and I can see the value in this now that maybe you younger, you know, hot bloods don't. I'm motherfucking Kurosawa and you will do what I say. There's one story I read where... Uh, when the patriarch and Sue are on the mountain, this is the first time that they interact that we see, and uh, they shot it, and the sky looked 98% perfect. And then they got it, and they all packed it in, and they were done for the day, and then the cloud shifted a little bit, and it was the exact <laughs> right gray that he could possibly imagine. Uh-huh. And he just like grabbed his uh, like the megaphone. He was like, unpack it. We're doing it again. And oh, then, man. Like, he gets a lot of credit for like, or like, he has this like legend of like being able to control the weather and making it perfect, but he'll just sit there and film over and over and over again until the background is. He can't actually control weather, is what I'm saying. If you actually oh. thought that was true, <laughs> but if, that, you're pati- if you're patient enough as a filmmaker, you can though, because if you can wait for it, right? And you, yeah, if you have the legend and the name to like get actors to keep going back to do it, that is the speed round. And you don't. I knew like there's no way that I could say that Hamilton thing and not have that happen. I. <laughs> uh, We're going to take a break, and then it's the awards, the final chance for you guys to get points. It's awards time, folks. Uh, As we talked about before, Kurosawa was nominated for Best Director at the Oscars for this movie. Lost to Sidney Pollack, who, uh, do you guys know which movie of the year he was in? Yeah, he's in uh, Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah, he's the lawyer that says to Tom Cruise, like, don't worry about it, baby. And he's Just fucking kill hookers. It yeah, and probably, the, like, the center of everything. I think about, we talked about, like, the his shots where he makes the same movement in that scene where he's playing pool that the guy that's, like, the head of the orgy makes. The first award, Mike, is most epic samurai moment. Who should take this down? Uh, there's a moment where the Lord, he is, like, halfway crazy. He's not full crazy yet, but he, he's not full. Nobody will accept him, but it's in the middle of that, and he walks out. He's been kicked out of, I think, his second castle, and everybody still backs away from him. Yeah. The whole army who who has swords is still scared shitless of this old guy in his dotage. Uh, and that's pretty That's pretty samurai, man. This is when they, he's leaving the second castle, and they like his men are locked outside, and he says, like, throw mm-hmm. the gate. Oh, my God, dude. That What I like about the, those shots is they're not perfectly aligned, and they, the camera, you can feel it shifting so that the shot is perfectly in line. And there's something about that moment where it lines itself up 
that's like very endearing they're mm-hmm. like I find something it. about a great shot yes. it can be antiseptic you know so like sometimes when you see the shot like come in and kurosawa does move the camera a lot and so like those little movements that is that is like and him in front of those big freaking doors damn mm-hmm. dude that is like such a cinematic moment he just doesn't want to move it in like he wants to have as much in the frame as possible so he moves it like out but never yeah. in that other, that thing too uh when he was walking out uh red stepped up behind him and it was clearly a western duel like <laughs> yeah. he was clearly shooting that as if it was like in that dirt road between saloons that's a good one the other thing i love about this movie too is that it's a i was just following orders movie but it doesn't deal with the complications of that it's what happens when I will follow orders. I just don't know whose orders to follow. Yeah. And so everyone's confused running around saying like, who is leading? Just let me know. And that, you know, you, you good, you need someone who's a good boss to give the orders. Like it's not a worker's job to question the orders. It's, it's a boss's job to be a good boss. <laughs> for Greg, samurai. For moment. me, uh, you might see a little theme in these awards, but for me, it's the lady K scene. Um, she is fighting with a weapon that none of them, fight with which is um political influence even more than her like sexuality she's using uh political leanings that nobody else does and it's it starts the scene where um hero comes back and he's got the armor of taro and she like yells at him about wearing it and so it shames him and he takes it off and then she goes to like like give back the armor and say i was wrong and so now he's not in armor and she gets him to dismiss his court and then manages in like just moments to be standing over him with a sword. And the way she wields it, it's like, oh, yeah, she's also trained in a sword and she could probably kill this guy any time. And mm-hmm. you realize, wait a minute. That's like the moment where you realize she's the most badass person in this entire movie. Like She is the true samurai of this movie. Nobody holds the candle to her. She's got like she's the most focused, driven dangerous person in the movie and uh, i think that scene also speaks to the fact that like to the big performances like uh lady k is the only one who has the big performances but the camera lingers for one extra second so we can see her like not really smile but like wait for reaction because it's like they're performing in movie right everyone is acting big to trick and manipulate the characters around them and lady k is really the only one that like doesn't seem like they're on a stage but everything the old man does is I have to act like mm-hmm. this, so I guess I will. And it, she's uh, doing it to get what she wants. Right. That's a good one, Greg. Nice job. Greg, you are shakes, shake that spear. What was the most Shakespearean moment of the movie? Uh, so for for me, it is just um, the pacing of some of the scenes. So let me give you an example. When they used to stage Shakespeare's plays, characters would be like saying the last lines of a scene walking off stage and the characters in the next scene would come walking on at the same moment saying lines like they ran these things in like an hour under an hour like characters spoke as quickly as they could and they got everything out and there it's very altman some of the pacing of the scenes is just like from the moment uh um saburo says like you're a fool father until he is banished for all time is like seconds uh, from the moment Lady K decides that she's going to try to take over, like, Hero and make the jump from Taro to Hero, she goes through that entire thing all the way from, like, here is your armor back all the way to you have to kill your wife now. Just, like, it, like warp speed. And that pacing is, the, is, I think, this movie 
really hearkening back to the pacing of like King Lear. This dude splits his kingdom and people are like, ooh, King Lear, is that a good idea? And he's like, I guess we'll see. And before he can finish saying that, he's been exiled from two different houses. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the first part of King Lear is like, all right, ladies, daughters, come, uh, unroast me. Yeah, dude, honey roast roast me. me. (laughs) And uh, we already know that Cordelia is the favorite and Cordelia is like, I can't and I won't. And he's like, fuck you, get out forever. We're done. Yeah. Uh, the relationships just change on a dime. Or a Mike Nickel, if you prefer to call it that. Mike, what do you got? Uh, my, mine is also scene work, but kind of the opposite is there's a few times or a bunch of times where scenes end and they freeze in and like zoom in. And like it's when you're waiting for the house lights to go down and the actors just aren't moving. <laughs> uh, the, the the two real big call-outs are a- after the Lord banishes Sabora and Tango. He turns his back and they nobody moves. They all just freeze for like six straight seconds, and then the scene continues on. And then later, when the Lord is dying and Saboro and the Fool find him, uh, they have a bunch of other guards with them. And then it zooms in, and all the guards are just gone. And the real emotional scene is only with these three characters who have emotion, even though you know the guards are there. But it's like, okay, everybody else has left the stage, and the people who matter are what we're actually focusing on. So it falls somewhere in between Paul Schrader's like. This is a stage, mm-hmm. and come and seize. This is real life. Right. It's like this middle ground. Yeah, that's pretty good. Mike. Uh, what about cringiest moment? What was the time where Kurosawa like sent shivers up your spine? For me, it's um, something that uh, bothers me more and more in movies. There's not a lot of cringy stuff in this, but um, the way they ride horses in this movie, I really don't like. They Obviously, the actors rode the fucking hell out of these horses, and horses go down a lot in this movie. They're falling basically constantly. There's a part where they're, they're running horses through a river where one horse falls, and it clearly causes, like, six different horses t- to fall. Uh, some of those horses were destroyed because of that. And even when guys are just on top of their horses in this movie, they are, like, riding them with such a heavy hand. And it's... For a movie that's about how like violent and terrible we are, it it stay it like stood as like a constant reminder, like the the cow that got caught that got killed and and come and see, like that this movie's kind of made with cruelty, even though it's a it's about cruelty and critiques it. Mike, uh, I thought the the treatment of Lady Sway in the film, where it's kind of built up that she's the one gentle force in the Lord's life, like he's like, oh, I got to talk to her. And it feels like she could be an interesting other angle because everybody else is different ang- like parts of violence. And she's barely in the movie and then dies towards the end. And it's like, wait, why would you build her up and not have this very different point of view matter? Mike. Yeah, if you stop at the halfway point with this movie, you think that, uh, oh, there's like six angles and all of them are going to get equal treatment. And it, at the end of the movie, it's just like, oh, if you act like her... You're so fucked. Yeah. Like you're so fucked. You're naive and you're stupid and you have faith and that's all. Well, I think the movie prepares you to like f- find a redemptive quality in her belief system. And then I think it just at the end, he just says, that's not really, that's not the world <laughs> nope. that we live in. Yeah. You know, it, that would be nice. But if she is protected by her faith, it comes in the moments earlier in the movie where she's not, where she like doesn't have a grudge. You know, mm-hmm. she hasn't let her life be destroyed by the fact that. That, that, that people tend to harbor this darkness in them. But it's not going to save her physically because re- that's not the goal. That's not what religion does save us physically, right? It saves us emotionally and spiritually. And so physically, we're, we're, we're still fucked. And then in the meantime, it's still a movie-ass movie because she says, oh, blind brother, 
you don't have your flute. I'll go get it for you. And he's you. like, and the audience is like, oh, come and on. He's like, please don't get, like, honestly, I'm not even very good at it. Don't do this. And she's like, no, I'll just leave you standing here on the side of a cliff and I'll go grab your flute. Here, take this scroll of Buddha. You'll be fine. I, I, shit, this might be the most important question I've ever asked you, Mike. What is Kurosawa's director's signature moment in this movie? Uh, I'm going to lift this straight from my wife about when she walked out on this is uh during the opening credits guys sitting on horses forever with nothing happening this has got to be kurosawa and of the ones i've seen that is uh man that is he just really likes those dudes sitting on horses forever i can't imagine what you would say greg to not get this point (laughs) like i I can't even fathom what words that um i can't stop seeing this burning castle um that entire scene where it's like he just to quote Hamilton again, cannot seem to die. Like, he is just waiting. He breaks his sword so he can't commit seppuku. None of these arrows will fucking hit him. His concubines take, like, eight different bullets for him. When he walks out, he's so broken, they just let him leave, and this castle behind him burns, and it's probably the most impressive thing I've ever seen on film is just this castle fucking burning. I mean, so many people talk about him as, like, the king of weather and how he's obsessed with nature, like, on a Malikian or Tolkienian level of just, like, all right, you filmed it for a while, let's move on. (laughs) But with being obsessed with, like, what physics can do and what the world can do, that includes fire and what it does to buildings, and he holds on to it in an awesome amount of time. That's clearly Greg's point. Greg. And if I could take a point away from Mike's wife, I would definitely do it. (laughs) Uh, Greg, pound for pound performance. I'm nervous that we all agree on this one, but Shit, go for this it. This one's so hard. Uh, I wrote down the guy who plays uh, the the Lord of the of the whole thing, but then I was like, it's not him. It's Mako Harada who played Lady K. Uh, she is just doing so much in this, and. You can see her trying to be reserved, but her anger coming through so often that she can't keep herself from saying things that she probably shouldn't. There's a moment where she is um, threatening slash seducing Hero, where uh, she just suddenly bursts into peals of laughter. And I felt myself like wanting to do anything for her. Like she's so dangerous (laughs) and scary in that moment. And then she's just suddenly laughing and then she's just suddenly threatening him again. And it's just like, it's so engrossing and so powerful that like you feel like she could step out of the screen and slash at you with that sword, you know? Mike. Yeah. What do you got? It has to be Mako Harada. She's the only character and showing in her performance that sees the matrix code of their dumb society. Mm -hmm. So they all, even the ones who roll their eyes at the rules still do the rules. And she knows what, string to tug to make other people play by the rules and how to circumvent them it just seems to be a world where nobody would ever just flaunt the rules so she can do whatever she wants in a godlike way and get away with it for sure that's what i love about being a you know a democrat or a liberal is that every single time it's like our opponent is not playing by the rules at all like what are we going to do as far as like still staying in the rules like we must make sure (laughs) to stay in the rules and lady k is like oh Man, not only do I see how you're breaking the rules, but I will break them harder and quicker and smarter than you ever thought of. Dude, yeah. Without without any of the 
hysterics of some of the bigger performances. I mean, mm-hmm. she is she is the truest foil, I think, to him in the in- entire movie because where he was just action for the sake of action, just do whatever you can, never stop moving, never like contemplate what you're doing to the world. She was like this hard, like just one thing she wanted to do. She had one mm-hmm. mission and she would do it no matter what. And she didn't have to live through it, which always makes you more powerful. And all that directed rage, like she's just... You just feel her like burning on the on the screen every time she's on it, and she sits and Flames? waits and thinks. Yeah, where he's just a creature of action, and she, I think, Lady K knows everything that's wrong with Lady K. Oh, like, yeah. and it won't be broken by it. Where he is broken in the movie because he has to start thinking about. She's the a he's done. she is a sword like folded over and over and over again, and 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 heated up and pounded with a hammer, and that has made her strong. But all that damage has basically just turned her into a weapon and when mm-hmm. the weapon is done it's like she, her existence is done like greg all right so the awards tonight are for samurai moment it is lady k just uh showing up all these dudes what a samurai actually is uh the shakespeare moment mike what'd you say for that when everyone like uh, that them all the freezing yeah no no the shakespeare was everybody freezing oh yeah everybody freezing <laughs> right the staging of the movie uh, the cringe moment, Mike. What was that? The film's treatment of Lady Sway. Lady Sway, right? And how she just sort of like she uh, she starts as an angle and then just is no longer an angle. The director's signature is the filming of the Burning Castle and thinking that like, that's almost as beautiful as like a, a placid green hill. And then the performance, we all agree, is Lady K. I tried while watching to like think about how it should be the patriarch, and I think he's doing such a good job. And I think that there is a lot. I think there there is an arc. Like I think his craziness is arcing, and he is getting crazier as it goes along. But man, she came in and stole the show. Yeah, dude, <laughs> such a powerful. This movie should be called Lady K. So we're gonna take a break, and when we come back, we're gonna go over the winner of U two and the winner of eighty five. Is it Ron? Are my sentences weird? We'll find out soon. Hola, Felterinos. I just wanted to interrupt real briefly and say thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. If you want to support us a little more directly, you can go to patreon.com slash yourpopfilter. There, depending on what tier you pick, $1 a month, $5 a month. If you're crazy, anything more than $5 a month, don't do that. You can get extra content. There's extra shows, extra series, uh, behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, you can pay for ryan to draw you a picture Uh, i can write you a poem you can get the shirts off our very own backs all of that and so much more over at patreon.com slash your pop filter while you're on the internet you should check out shady monk he does all the tunes you've been listening to he's on Bandcamp. he's on spotify uh soundcloud wherever kids get their music these days that i'm too old to know shady monk lives there uh you can probably follow him on twitter and instagram as well that's shady monk wherever you get music Check them out. This is it. We're at the end. It's Woo. time to stop the discussion of Ron, probably forever. Well, we might do another Ron show, right? Someday? Never yeah. again. You're putting your foot down right now. I, I think the people are. It sucks, Greg, because this is a competition. This is a bracket. Uh-huh. And now that we know that Mike thought it was like great minus, is that it? Is that it for the movie? It Generally, whoever likes the movie more... And I liked it more. Tends to win. But I don't know. Mike had a pretty good showing. For a movie that he wasn't blown away by, he said a lot of good things about it. No, but I'm saying, like, does it... 
can it not win 85 because Mike thought it was classic minus? Oh, you know, in any other year, I could see this movie like potentially being that second place movie to everybody. And so then it, it moves in. But it's just I, I yeah, I think that his not being blown away. And I mean, I was blown away by it. But I like at this point, I've just been bowled over by 85. And yeah. it's a it to me, it is still basically a two horse race with two additional horses that are also very handsome. I think Greg just was won over again by the glory of cinema. He had forgotten it for years. <laughs> and it's just Honestly, dude, I do think that that kind of <laughs> did happen. I Like, if you listen to John Waters talk about movies, he's like, there are no bad movies. Like, movies are great because they're, like, really big pictures, and it, fa- it feels good to watch them, and somebody tried, like, hard to make them. And more and more, I'm just like, honestly, dude, it's just nice to have movies at all. <laughs> yeah, But then when they're, it- like, perfect. Recent uh, 85 horror, and I try not to bring up 85 horror. Uh, Makes on- me very mad for not being on it. The regular show, yeah, because you guys were not invited, and <laughs> it's my time to shine. But uh, we had a guest, Sam Weinman, a horror director, and he had a tweet about how, like, if you think of movies as good or bad and that's it, like, what is your life? What, Like, what are you doing that's terrible? Yeah. Uh, yeah. They're, they're, they're all sort of awesome in their own way. But I think that Ron just uh, basically opens up the door for Goonies, right? Like, Goonies is going to take this down? Yeah, it's going to slip right in there. I don't think it has the ability to to like ride in the wake of another movie and 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 make it in. I don't th- and so I don't think it has enough on its own and I don't think it's going to like squeeze in through that like well we also liked Ron, but I'm so glad we did a Kurosawa movie and I feel like having it last was also really cool because it it just it, it I felt like it was speaking to all the other movies that we watched Mishima and and all the other ones. Breakfast Club. Yeah. In the meantime, on this show, on the Ron show, we talked about After Hours two or three times. Like yeah. these these movies are in our veins now. A movie yeah. I forgot existed. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get to the scores before we get to Ron. Um, I ended up with ten points. I do believe that is my new record. Wow, that's uh, getting better every week, bud. <laughs> I think I think I got three points for thinking that Pee Wee Herman should be a Ghostbuster, and uh-huh. neither one of you saying it, and so that's an easy three for me right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Greg, you scored 30. Hmm. Heard my name first. Don't love that. Is that a lot of points? It's okay. There was trivia. I would say 30 is, is okay. If you like the movie as much as I like, like if you really come repping the movie, you should probably do better than 30. So yeah, I'm bad. Here's the thing. I think that Mike destroyed on trivia and got most of the awards points, but Greg will always be like, you know, William Shakespeare, may have been a person and every time i hear that i'm like points oh, oh give point, him point, up point. whoa uh so yeah mike had 25 you kind of you got a lot more well guess who's eating a chicken dinner tonight it's me the winner what do i eat uh you want to have some of this chicken dinner oh thank you loser loser yeah. chicken boozer <laughs> you have to eat i'm not great chicken. at the part where we're supposed to hate each other mike Sorry. no i prefer this too <laughs> i was really rooting for you i just keep hating the host <laughs> boom shakalaka all right, so uh, Greg, congratulations, Mike. I think you did a good job too. It did seem like you watched the movie. So many times when you lose, it really seems like you just said, uh, "No time for this this week." This week I, <laughs> watch I feel the like Monster you did Squad watch again. <laughs> Man, I would crush on that show. Is the podcast that you need to be on comparing Blank to the Monster Squad? Yeah, you just watch different movies. Yes. So I'm. I have to say, I'm really sad that the watching the movies of, of '85 part is basically over. This was such a, an astounding year. It was so good. If you had said best year in cinema and then you had said it was 85, I would have thought that it's because you were a huge Back to the Future fan. Now I think it's 
it's the best movie in cinema because of a bunch of movies nobody has ever heard of or, or watches. Like, <laughs> just really good, really good deep cuts. I mean, like, probably the movie of the year is going to be either, like, Brazil or Come and See. Like, if it's Brazil, that's the most well-known movie. Like, yeah, the, that we could possibly have it be, I think. The problem with deep cuts is trying to pitch them to other people throughout the yeah. season. Be like, watch this great movie. They're like, oh, The Goonies, that's cool. I haven't seen that forever. And you talk about Come and See. They're like, why would I ever watch that? I'm like, no, but did you hear all the good things I said about it? Like, <laughs> And their answer is always no. no. I did not listen to anything that you said. I was just thinking I heard about, about the, the Goonies. Part, <laughs> I heard about the part where you said they emotionally destroyed a child. And I was like, I don't know if I want to watch that. Yeah, but like, it does seem different than any other year. It feels like uh, 04 when we were doing it, it felt great and fun. But looking back on it now, uh, we just watched Mean Girls eight times. Like, as far as I know, <laughs> it was just eight Mean Girls, and that was it. It's too many it has girls. been a crazy year. Uh, Patreon subscribers, you guys do have one more show for you where we mm-hmm. do review the color purple. Uh, and that is going to be entered into all of the awards categories. If you do not subscribe, please go and do that for a measly, paltry $5 a month. You can have so much extra stuff, including... Uh, if you're a Patreon listener, stay tuned, and you will get uh, all of the entertainment that we've been doing during quarantine as well, and not talking about Kurosawa for a single second. Guys, it's been a pleasure. It's been a blast. Thank you so much for letting me host. Uh, I can't wait for Color Purple. I cannot wait for the the awards. Like, it's gonna be nuts. The, yeah. Looking at like thinking about like who's gonna win Best Supporting Actress, I have no idea how that's gonna go down. Yeah, the awards. I think re- ultimately the awards are even more exciting than movie of the year in some ways, because we get to celebrate like the entire mm-hmm. season of the show. And I, I really think that that's like, that's always so fun because sometimes a movie has no chance to win and it will still like take get, like three or, or four different moodies. And then we get a chance to be like, God, we really enjoyed watching that movie. My favorite is the montage before every award. Mm-hmm. We get to see all the best moments. That's great. And mm. I can't not cry. What is that? I just tear up. It doesn't matter what the montage is about. I just cry. I always cry. The best uh, crap falls and you're just sobbing. Oh, my God. It falls so pratty. For Greg, who tied last week and then decided to come to fucking play and destroy tonight. For Mike, who is allegedly on the show. My name is Ryan. And please keep watching those movies. <laughs>